Jack Smith's motion for a limited gag order against Donald Trump in the Washington, D.C. federal criminal case was just unsealed. Finally, folks, it's the motion you've been waiting for. Jack Smith is asking for an order prohibiting Trump from making extrajudicial, in other words, out of court, threats against the judge, the prosecutors, the witnesses, the community, and others which would cause intimidation and bias in the jury pool. This is how any other criminal defendant would and should be treated. So what happens next? Also, in the Georgia criminal RICO case against Donald Trump and 18 others, some critical rulings were handed down this week in Fulton County Superior Court by Judge Scott McAfee. This as an expedited appeals process in the 11th Circuit is simultaneously playing out involving Donald Trump's former chief of staff and co-defendant Mark Meadows after a federal district court in Georgia denied Meadows' attempt to remove the case from Georgia state court to federal court. With Trump criminal cases and litigation, like all aspects of his life, it's all chaos, disorder, and screwing up and then playing the victim when he screws up. Trump and his lawyer Alina Habba's screw-ups were on display this week. From failing to check the box to request a jury trial in the New York AG civil fraud case to failing to assert presidential immunity as a defense in the E. Jean Carroll 1 case, to having their attempt to revive a lawsuit where they were previously sanctioned $1 million denied and getting another scathing rebuke from the federal judge. It, it's just sheer incompetence and abuse of process and whining on display from Trump and his team this week and all weeks. Speaking of the New York Attorney General civil fraud case, a ruling by the New York Appellate Department might delay the October 2nd start date of that $250 million fraudulent valuation case after Donald Trump sued Judge Arthur Ngoron, the presiding judge over the New York AG case. What was the move that Donald Trump made? What did the first appellate department do? How is this going to impact the trial date? We will break it all down. And finally, new details have emerged about Jack Smith's subpoena to Twitter almost nine months ago where Jack Smith sought and obtained Donald Trump's direct messages and Twitter activity. This is where Elon Musk's Twitter was held in contempt and ordered to pay a massive sanction after trying to obstruct turning over the evidence that was uh, sought by special counsel Jack Smith. The district court's orders and related filings have been unsealed. By the way, it appears that special counsel Jack Smith may have obtained devastating evidence, including direct messages sent on Donald Trump's account. We'll talk about this and more here on Legal AF. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by the one and only Michael Popak.
Hi, Ben. And sweet new year to all those in our audience that celebrate the beginning of the, the holidays that we're in now. We talk a lot, Ben, about Donald Trump being a phony, saying false things, saying fraudulent things, swearing to false and fraudulent things in court filings. But I want to put back that picture that we that we we always use this. It's a great stock photo. This is outside Trump Tower on Fifth Avenue. And that clock, Ben, do you know the story about that clock? No, tell me the story about that clock. It, it was put up uh, fraudulently and the city of New York is trying to take it down. They never got a permit to put up that clock. It just showed up one day. They didn't go through the proper zoning and land use approvals for it. And so this illegal clock that a lot of tourists take photos in front of should not be there. And if the city of New York has its way, will be torn down along with the legacy of the former president. And I'm sure everybody wants to know, as we heard about Donald Trump suing the judge, it was kind of a writ proceeding, a mandate uh, writ of mandate kind of proceeding. Want to talk about what happened there because it appeared on its face to be very frivolous. We then had the first appellate department uh, court of appeals judge who got it on the emergency basis, kind of kicked it to a full panel. So the way it was reported, and uh, and, it, and it is, you know, that there has been this kind of temporary stay pending a review by the full panel. I know you're steeped in New York law, so I know our listeners and viewers um, are going to be very keen on hearing your take there. But let's start with the gag order. We've been talking about it for some time. People have been asking. I always see it's probably one of the number one or number two things other than people saying how cool Michael Popak is in the <laughs> chat. Popak so cool. Popak so cool. When is Jack Smith going to seek a gag order already? And look, we previously talked about how there are First Amendment considerations, number one, that gag orders have to be kind of narrowly tailored and construed appropriately so as to not create any constitutional issues. But here, Donald Trump's flagrant conduct in threatening the judge and witnesses and prosecutors uh, and the communities uh, is unprecedented. You know, even in mob trials, you don't see, you know, the, uh, the the mob boss going on social media and saying that the, my Marxist judge is going to get what's coming to her. And if you do this to me, I'm coming after you. And, you know, and Jack Smith had enough. And this issue had been percolating for some time. You know, if you go back to some of the other legal AFs, we talked a week or so ago about there was this filing that Jack Smith made where Jack Smith wanted to file something under seal and Donald Trump was objecting to the filing under seal. Not only was Trump objecting to it, Trump wanted a full briefing, three weeks of briefing or more on the issue about whether it should be filed under seal to then get to the merits itself and then have a three week or more period on the merits issue. And it turns out that what was happening, because the documents were just uh, mostly unsealed. Fortunately, we had Judge Tanya Chutkin, who was having none of this Trump delay. Although there was a headline back, Judge Chutkin gives Trump a win by what? By forcing this issue, by giving three extra days for Donald Trump to respond um, to the motion and have Jack Smith respond shortly thereafter. And now it's made public this week. But what now we know was happening, Popak, right, is that 
Donald Trump wanted the identities of the individuals who received threats to be public. Jack Smith was saying, look, this motion for a gag order that we're filing before even getting to the substance of a judge, we're going to file most of this on the public docket. We simply want to redact the names of victims who are being threatened and targeted by Donald Trump because that, so, that serves no public purpose. And then they're just going to be targeted with more threats. So Trump was fighting. And this was what one of the initial things was like Judge Chutkin's order first came out unsealing portions of it, but but keeping the names of the targeted victims redacted. Trump wanted those names public. That's a pretty astonishing thing when you think about what Trump was fighting for. And then fortunately, Judge Chutkin allowed redactions over the names of people who received threats. By the way, we learned the court was threatened as well. The court's been receiving racist threats. People have been arrested. Jack Smith pointed that as well. But Popak, this is big. Jack Smith's had enough. And now we know what that what that was all about last week or the week before was this filing for this limited gag order. So what's going on? We got the filing. Um, and, and there's a pattern here I want to connect the dots on between the last segment we're going to do on this podcast about the Twitter filings that are now also unsealed back from um, the beginning of the year that we could see and the filings that Jack Smith has just made different members of his same team, but saying the exact same thing consistently and coherently in front of two different judges, but always being consistent. And that is Donald Trump's MO is to pressurize the and undermine people's faith and confidence in the justice system, in the judges, the prosecutors, the investigators, the witnesses that will be against him. He, and he does it, and then they tie it back to the indictment. He does it, Judge, just the way the indictment charges that he did leading up to Jan 6 and the cling to power by undermining people's faith in our election process. Same guy, same playbook, two different, two different facing pages. And that is, from what we saw in this motion that finally got unsealed, Ben, the one before Judge Chutkin, which has been reported as sort of the gag order motion, I'll talk about what they are actually seeking the two things they're actually seeking, not quite up to the level of a gag, but close to it. But in, in that particular filing, the opening paragraph of it or so is something that they can use in their in their opening statement when they finally get this case to trial. Because it, and it also gives you the inner workings, the inner thoughts um, of how the the prosecutors see this case and the way they consistently present it to different courts. It starts off with the motion. It starts off with a a um, a excerpt or a, a quote from a famous Supreme Court case in this area, Shepard versus Maxwell. And this is on page fourteen of the motion, and it says the reason we're even here talking about putting limits on the defendant in undermining the justice system is that. Um, a, that the, the trial of an individual under the Sixth Amendment, Donald Trump included, should not be a, quote, carnival atmosphere of unchecked publicity and trial by media rather than our constitutionally established system of trial by an impartial jury. So just like Fawny Willis is worried about the Sixth Amendment rights of defendants that are being undermined, even Jack Smith is saying, 
the ability to pick an impartial jury because of Donald Trump's own actions is severely compromised and undermined by Donald Trump being the ringmaster of a carnival-like atmosphere. He thinks, Donald Trump, that what he's doing is he's speaking to the future Trumper juror who's going to hang the jury. But all he's really doing is making it almost impossible to, without protection, to pick a jury that is not afraid of him and therefore won't give him actually a fair trial. And that's what he... That's what Donald Trump always misses. And so what they did is they walked the judge through who this Donald Trump is, as if she needs a lesson in it. And in it, they they say in the opening paragraph, Ben, um, which I said could be a version of their opening, um, they start off with the indictment. Another, another ability, uh, and they'll take it, a gift given to them by Donald Trump, for the prosecutors to ring the bell about how bad this guy is and as alleged in the indictment, and then tie it together with what he's doing now is just another version of what he did leading into Jan 6 and beyond. They said, as set forth in the indictment, after election day in 2020, the defendant launched a disinformation campaign in which he publicly and widely broadcast knowingly false claims that there, there that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the presidential election and that he had actually won in service of his criminal conspiracies through public false public statements the defendant trump sought to erode public faith in the administration of the election and intimidate individuals who refuted his lies. The defendant is now attempting to do the same thing in the criminal case to undermine confidence in the criminal justice system and prejudice the jury pool through disparaging and inflammatory attacks on the citizens of this district, this court, prosecutors, and prospective witnesses. The defendant's conduct presents a substantial likelihood of material prejudice to these proceedings, and the court needs to take steps to restrict his extrajudicial statements. That's the beginning. That's the opening salvo in the motion. And then they walk through all of the things that he has done in which he lights the fuse knowing that his followers are going to follow him and then harass and intimidate and dox people that he points his ire at. And they use as examples, and this is where the blackout comes in, what we call the redaction. If we go salty to page three, you'll see what we're, the version of what we're talking about, what we've been waiting for. It's this blackout. That's not by me. That's by the court. Now, by the way, I have to tell you, in this entire document, there is very little redaction. And in fact, I, I'm not outing anybody. It is obvious when they start with the sentence like this. The former head of cybersecurity in election integrity for the United States blacked out. We know that's Chris Krebs. <laughs> that, some of the blackouts, I was like, that's what we're blacking out? And it's obvious they're talking about Ruby Freeman and Shane Moss because it's a full description of Fulton County wor election workers, including the two that are suing Giuliani for defamation and others. And we know what happened to them. And we know the Georgia Secretary of State by name who stood at the podium and said, somebody is going to die and get killed based on the rhetoric that Donald Trump is using. That is all. This gave, this was the gift that keeps on giving, as we've said before in other legal AFs, Donald Trump refuses, you did a hot take on it that's running right now, refuses to shut his mouth. And even knowing that this is now pending, rather than go into a quiet mode and not say a darn thing, he just ramped it up again 
and started attacking the judge and the prosecutors, everything that they're asking for the limitation on. He's just giving another example, which, as I said on my own hot take, the government is just going to send in as an amended motion or further evidence into the judge when she holds this particular hearing after full briefing before this month is over. They didn't have to, but they reminded the judge that she's been attacked, including a an assassination um, uh, comment that was left on her on her voicemail, a racist uh, attack on her to kill her. That that was mentioned, and we've had issues in our country, unfortunately, where federal and state judges, prosecutors, and their families have been assassinated because of rhetoric just like this one. Then talking about the witness tampering. Him going after Mike Pence. It's obvious it's Mike Pence. Him going after um, anybody else that's going to testify against him or bolstering their testimony, which is another aspect where you say, um, I know Rudy Giuliani is going to testify for me, so I'm going to pollute the future jury's mind by telling them what a great guy Giuliani is, the former greatest mayor. You can't, you're not supposed to be talking about witnesses because the fear is that the future jury not yet picked. In the District of Columbia, what we what we refer to in the business, Ben and me, as the veneer, the future panel that is brought down to choose the ultimate 12 jurors from, I think it's 12 in this case, they're right now potential jurors. Everybody in D.C. is a potential juror, you know, that's, that's uh, got a um, – that's got a Department of Motor Vehicle Registration, whatever they use in the District of Columbia. And, and so – By making these comments, he's having these people start to prejudge and not be able to be fair and impartial when they come in. Or worse, because in in this document, in the motion, Ben, they reminded the judge that on at least one Jan 6 trial that the Department of Justice handled, the jury, and I think you and Karen did a hot take on this one, the jury sent a note asking to make sure that the defendant that they were, um, not a sentencing, the trial, that that a defendant that they were uh, uh, adjudicating his guilt or innocence, whether they had, whether he had their phone numbers and addresses because they were fearful uh, that he would come after them and, and, and worse with Donald Trump. So this is the world. And then the two things, just to leave my portion on this, the two quote unquote limited orders that they're looking for from the judge. Because as I always say, when you go to court, you got a judge who's impatient tapping their foot asking two questions. Why are you here? And what do you want? We've done the why are you here? What do you want? And what we want, judge, is for you to enter an order limiting or preventing all outside the courtroom statements by Donald Trump and, and his lawyers about witnesses, the prosecution team, the the trial in particular, and jurors. She, they didn't mention the judge, but I'm sure when the judge gets around to it, she doesn't like being attacked either. But um, you know, she'll put that aside for a minute. And the second thing they want, besides Donald Trump not at rallies, social media, press conferences, and otherwise attacking witnesses, jurors, and the prosecution team, and undermining the the judicial uh, process, the the, ju- the justice system, is they they want to know and they want the judge to authorize when parties, Donald Trump meaning, make an attempt to um, create what's called a, uh, it's what jury consultants do in order to figure out what their future jury should be made up of. You hire a jury consultant to help you select your model juror, demographically, racially, you know, all sorts of different 
socioeconomically, all sorts of different things. Is this better if I have all women? Is it better if it's mixed? Is it better if it's older? Is it better if it's people that served in the military? Whatever the demographics are, you hire somebody. But they do a jury pool and they do a jury analysis. And they want to make sure that as part of that, Donald Trump isn't polluting the jury and the future jury by the way he does this jury science project. And so they want to know when he's doing that and they want the court to approve how it's done. Again, under the auspices of we got to protect the jury from intimidation and tampering so that we can have a fair jury at the end of the day. And the, and the last thing I'll leave it on, Ben, is they also said it, it has already been proven in this case that when you judge, you judge Chutkin, give an order, uh, specifically, it gets complied with. They noted that when you, John Laura, the lawyer for Donald Trump, went on all the Sunday morning talk shows, and you and I covered this in both Legal AF and Hot Takes, one Sunday morning hit like seven talk shows. And he started doing exactly what you're not allowed to do under the local criminal rules as a lawyer, which is he started bashing witnesses like Mike Pence. He started talking to future jurors, if you will, and just talking about the case in an extrajudicial, meaning outside the four corners of the courtroom and in, and in filings in a way that he shouldn't have. And they said, when you told him, Judge, to stop doing that and admonished him in a hearing, we, we went back and checked. John Laurel was basically gagged. He never did it again. Do the same thing with Donald Trump because only you can do it. You see what he's doing when you don't do it. What do you think about it all, Ben? Well, I can tell you what Donald Trump did right after Jack Smith filed the motion. This is Jack Smith filing a motion to call out Donald Trump's threats against prosecutors, the judge, the community. Donald Trump's response was the following. Biden prosecutor deranged Jack Smith has asked the court to limit 45th president and leading Republican nominee by more than 50 points in beating Dems. Donald J. Trump's public statements, that's all in caps because I think he thinks that's more important if you put things in caps. So I'm campaigning for president against an incompetent person who has weaponized the DOJ and FBI to go after his political opponent, and I'm not allowed to comment. They leak, lie, and sue, and they won't allow me to speak. How else would I explain that Jack Smith is deranged or crooked Joe is incompetent? Just first, just dealing with uh, Donald Trump talking about incompetence, he gave a speech yesterday in Washington, D.C., where he believed that he had run a campaign against Barack Obama. And then Donald Trump also accused President Biden of starting World War II. Um, and so... I know the media likes to have these both sides narratives that exist and they want to start attacking President Biden, who's doing an incredible job overseas and here domestically, while Donald Trump makes posts like this threatening prosecutors after prosecutors seek a limited gag order because of the threats leading to actual death threats taking place to the court and to judges and to um, community members as well. Um, that's what Donald Trump does. And then Donald Trump doesn't know the difference between uh, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and President Biden. And then also believes President Biden somehow started World War Two. We cover that here at the Midas Touch Network. You know, w w one of the things that Donald Trump's trying to do here also, though, 
He wants to bait Jack Smith to making a mistake. He wants to bait Judge Tanya Chutkin into saying something or making a mistake so he can go, see, see, she's biased. She's biased against me. You see, I'm not going to get a fair trial here. That's part of the gaslighting tactics of an abuser that we see deployed by Donald Trump over and over again. You know, and one of the things that Jack Smith also filed this week was a opposition to Donald Trump's request to have Judge Tanya Chutkin recused. And what special counsel Jack Smith pointed out is, one, Donald Trump is just misstating the law in the recusal motion um, because the statements that he's taking issue with, with, by the way, he's cherry picking portions of the statement and not giving the context, involve Judge Chutkin in sentencing cases, sentencing January 6th insurrectionists who have all been blaming Donald Trump for their conduct. And they've all been saying Donald Trump should go to jail and not them. And she's rejected that arguments. And she said things like, it is true that the people who you say directed you have not been charged yet, um, but that's not here nor there. You're responsible for your actions. Then she would sentence the insurrectionist. Then Donald Trump uses her saying that to say, see, she's biased towards me. I can't get a fair trial in front of her. And Jack Smith's like, no, she's just stating the facts. That's factual things that happened. And I know that the MAGA Republican Party lives in this world devoid of facts, devoid of evidence. You blame anything on the deep state or when you threaten, attack people and commit crimes, you wave the Constitution around and you go, see, First Amendment, Second Amendment. And they don't even read what the freaking amendments say and they don't even understand what the laws are that, no, you can't engage in threats at people. You can't attack people like that. Those those are crimes. But I wanted to point out that motion that Jack Smith filed as well. And Jack Smith pointed out the legal standard is in order to demonstrate that a judge's intrajudicial in-court statements rise to the level of being uh, of, of creating bias against a party, you have to show that the judge has showed an absolute, like the standard is like an absolute clear antipathy and disgust, publicly disgust about in, in a court hearing about a individual. And Jack Smith said that Donald Trump falls far short of that. So there's no chance that Judge Chutkin's going to be recused. Popak, I want to get your take on that and more, but I want to take our first quick break of the day. Eating well doesn't have to be boring. Feel your best this fall and satisfy your cravings with Adventurous Eats, made nutritious from Green Chef. Discover exciting new flavors with recipes that feature certified organic fruits and vegetables, sustainably sourced seafood, and unique farm fresh ingredients like tart, cherries, truffle zest, and rainbow carrots. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating clean with dinners that work for you, not the other way around. Around. My experience with Green Chef has been game-changing. Their meals genuinely taste amazing, and I don't know how I'd get through the work week without them. Plus, it's super fun cooking with my family because of how easy Green Chef makes it. Green Chef is also the only meal kit that is both carbon and plastic offset. Green Chef offsets 100% of their delivery emissions, as well as 100% of the plastic in every box. Plus, nearly all packaging materials 
aisles are curbside recyclable in most areas in the U.S. Green Chef delivers everything you need to eat clean the easy way this September. Feel your best with nutritionist-approved recipes packed with clean ingredients that support your healthy lifestyle and taste great too. Go to greenchef.com slash 60 legal AF. That's six zero legal AF and use the code 60 legal AF. That's six zero L-E-G-A-L-A-F to get 60% off plus free shipping. Once again, that's greenchef.com, G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F.com slash 60-L-E-G-A-L-A-F and use code 60LEGAL to get 60% off plus free shipping. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This is Michael Popak from Legal AF. If you're like me, you understand the pains of choosing what to wear. Let's face it, most clothes are uncomfortable or too tight or are never actually the size you really are. Not to mention the annoyance of trying to put a good outfit together. And when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours before you have an important meeting or dinner. And then you got to change all over again. Everyone wants to dress the best and look good at all times because, frankly, it's a confidence booster. So here's the deal. Men's closets were due for a radical reinvention, and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Roan helps you get ready for any occasion with the commuter collection, which offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, one-quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Roan commuter collection. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy whatever life throws your way, from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. It's time to feel confident without the hassle. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. And with its gold fusion anti-odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. I absolutely love Roan. As you can see, this has truly become my go-to commuter fit and on the Legal AF podcast recordings. We're on the move a lot, whether it's jumping from meeting to meeting or catching a flight or an important dinner. The Roan commuter collection has never let me down. The versatility and comfort of the collection is undefeated. Even after I wear it all day, I still feel super fresh because of that Gold Fusion anti-odor technology. The commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com slash legalaf and use promo code legalaf to save 20% on your entire order. That's 20% on your entire order when you head to r-h-o-n-e slash legalaf, promo code legalaf. Find your corner office. Welcome I got a back shout to Legal out. AF. Oh, go. Sorry, come back. I forgot Ooh, you. Welcome to back to Legal AF, Popak. <laughs> I got a shout out for Roan. I got caught in a torrential downstorm, a, a rainstorm, about four or five days ago in a Roan shirt, and like, and then it stopped. And like twenty minutes later, it was dry. And I would, that would never happen in a non-Roan fabric shirt. Shout out to Roan. <laughs> Popak, before I had to call that ad break, I think you wanted to comment yeah. on the recusal. Yeah, I don't want to give it more time than it needs. They're, they're, they're not going to win on yet another attempt by Donald Trump. We're going to talk about a fourth one here during the podcast for Donald Trump to try to get rid of a judge he doesn't like. Um, this is his continued campaign, um, which we've seen fail in Florida to try to remove Judge Middlebrooks. 
Um, there's some new litigation with Judge Middlebrooks. I know, Ben, you're, you've done or you will do a hot take on. He tried and failed in his attempt to get rid of Judge Mershon. He, he's trying to get rid of Judge Angoron, the, the civil fraud judge presiding over his civil fraud case. Going to lose there. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then Judge Chutkin, um, uh, same thing. As the as they said in their papers, the Department of Justice said in the papers that they just filed based on the briefing schedule, very fast one that the judge set up, all the Donald Trump has, which is not the clear and convincing evidence of judicial bias to overcome the presumption of impartiality, right, under a reasonable person standard. And we're kind of missing a reasonable person in this analysis because Donald Trump is not the reasonable person standard. All they have left, Judge, is what they said in their papers, is insinuation of sinister motivation by you without anything else. And if that's all it took, all you got to do is file a motion to recuse the judge that you don't like and you get rid of him. All you got to do is file, and we'll talk about it later, an Article 78 petition under New York law when you just don't like the judge and you'll get rid of them. Everybody would be doing that. And that, that's why there's a presumption of impartiality by the person wearing the robe. If they've done something you don't like in the case, and it's within some version of their discretion, like you don't like the, how fast the trial setting got set by Judge Chutkin, or she makes another decision you don't like here and there. Okay, then step up, file an appropriate appeal at the right time the right time, and argue to some appellate judge who's the boss for this particular judge that there has been reversible error, that they have abused the discretion they have or whatever the standard of review is for that particular issue. But to come in now and say, we don't like the fact that in the course of a dozen or so more Jan 6 sentencings, when somebody argued that they should be given leniency in the sentencing because they were just following orders of the grand leader, the cult leader for them, and the judge is a human being and commented in response, that may be, but you're in front of me now. We have to sentence you for your conduct. I have my own opinions about people that are not here. They said, oh, no, Donald Trump. She's got her own opinions about Donald Trump. We don't expect our, our jurists to be lobotomized before they get on the bench. They're allowed to read the paper. They're allowed to handle other cases that might impact on this particular one. They're allowed to be appointed by presidents that are not the person that's in front of them or former presidents, and they are allowed to make comments like that. And it doesn't rise to the heightened level of disqualifying animus, disqualifying bias that's required. Otherwise, everybody would be doing this and we wouldn't be able to get anything done in the courthouses in America. You know, when it comes to MAGA Republicans, Donald Trump, it's all projection and confession. When they talk about, oh, banana republic, no. I am so proud of the way our jury system works. And it's not perfect. And juries don't always get it right. And judges certainly don't always get it right. But when you read and you evaluate thoughtful judges like Judge Tanya Chutkin, even when we're about to talk about Georgia, Judge Scott McAfee, who's been very thoughtful in his orders, who, by the way, is appointed by Republican governor in Georgia. Um, it is important that we have an evidence-based system. And at the end of the show, we're going to talk about the full acquittal of Ken Paxton, the attorney general in uh, Texas, who had his impeachment uh, uh, trial play out before MAGA Republicans in the Senate. And the MAGA Republicans who make up the Texas Senate heard all of this evidence 
not from Democrats. The evidence came from Ken Paxton's own staff, Republicans, who said Ken Paxton was engaging in all of these bribes. Here's the evidence. Here are the bribes. Like the evidence was right there. Here's the mistress. Here's everybody who he was bribing. He, here's how it was done. Here are the emails. And then you have the Republicans in Texas at the Senate level because Donald Trump makes a post on his social media platform. They go, hey, Donald Trump told us that's not the country I want to live in. It's not the country any of us should want to live in. We should want to live in an evidence-based system. Let's talk about that a little later. But talking about our evidence-based system, a lot of updates taking place in Georgia in the criminal RICO case, both in Fulton County Superior Court by Judge Scott McAfee, as well as in the federal court, uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, as Mark Meadows is using all of these resources to try and desperately, desperately get the case removed to federal court, even after a district court denied his attempt to do so. So Popak, why don't we start off talking about Judge McAfee, and then we can talk about what's going on in federal court. And just, just so everybody knows here, and, and, and I'm sure longtime legal AFers get this, right? There are state court systems and there are federal courts, and federal courts have jurisdiction over federal issues, and state courts have jurisdiction over state law violations. So with respect to uh, Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis, right? She is a state prosecutor in Fulton County. She brought state law criminal RICO charges. That's her mandate as a state prosecutor to enforce the law and to bring cases in, in state and within her jurisdiction. The reason that there's federal courts involved is because Mark Meadows tried to argue that there's some federal law invoked. And he said because he was a federal official and he claimed to be acting under color of authority of his federal law and had federal defenses, he said, actually, this shouldn't be handled in state court. It should be handled in federal court. It would still be the same prosecutors. He wouldn't be able to be pardoned by a, a future United States president. It would, it would all be within the state court. It would still have the same kind of state apparatus, but it would be handled physically in a federal court. So I just wanted to make that distinction as people go, state court, federal court, what's going on here? Popeye. Well, what, what, yeah, and I, let's stay on there for a minute because last count, we have um, we have listeners and followers and audience from 140 countries. We get a lot of people in the chat and in direct messaging from not just expatriates of the US that are sitting and residing in other countries, people that are from other countries. You know, and um, and we get comments about thank you. One person just wrote us recently, Ben, that said, "I know more about the American legal system from your shows than I know about my own legal system," which doesn't surprise me. Back to your point about we're proud of the justice system when properly administering justice, which is what we're seeing writ large in Georgia under a judge that we didn't necessarily pick, the governor's Republican did, but we can't fault him yet for anything that he's done, Scott McAfee, and how he's made decisions. And just one point of clarification on state versus federal, there's, if you have federal claims and they're wholly federal claims, you go to federal court. If you got state claims, you go to state court. State prosecutions stay in state court. Federal prosecutions for federal crime, that's why we're seeing Department of Justice, Jack Smith, all in federal courts that we talk about. There's some overlap between the two things because under our constitution and, and other um, laws passed 
consistent with it related to um, justice. If you're a, if you have a state claim, like a breach of contract, that person in that other state breached a contract with me or or that other country breached a contract with me or defamed me or committed what we call a series of business injuries or other injuries called torts, I may be able to go to federal court for that filing and litigate it there or take the case to federal court depending upon the amount of money that's in dispute and if the parties are diverse in terms of where they're from. That's the one little other thing. That's generally how removal, like the one we're going to talk about with Mark Meadows, comes up, which is a person gets sued in state court in a state that's not his home court or home country and wants to take it over to federal court for a federal judge. So the judge's docket's at federal. The federal docket for a judge is made up of um, uh, criminal federal cases. There's a lot of them, drugs and everything else. And then cases that gets brought there by removal, either from a civil context or a criminal context, depending upon the conditions. That's what we've been watching. That's the the under that's the that's the the, the foundation of the of the framework of what we've been talking about when we talk about in shorthand removal. First thing we got to talk about though is this bombshell. I mean, we use that phrase a lot on this network, but in nine pages, Judge McAfee kind of reset the entire game um, and showed who's in charge um, and and who has a firm hand about Georgia process, Georgia procedure, and how he wants, as the judge, the 19 co-conspirator cases to be tried in front of him. And the takeaway in a very efficient ruling, I mean, this is like nine pages, that's it. I'm going to tell you everything that's packed in that nine pages that's really important to us and those that follow what we do. The first thing that was decided at the top is that what I joke, jokingly refer to as um, prosecution table for two, Ken Chespro and Sidney Powell, speedy trial couple. They're not separating from each other, even though they've tried to sever, cut the cord between the two of them and have their cases tried separately. The judge says, no, you're both speedy trial defendants. You're going together. And that's going to be now it's set in stone, right? Now that, that wet cement is now hardened by the judge, trial October, you two. Now, judge said, now that I've dispensed with that, let's talk about everybody else. There's 17 of them. And he said to Fawny Willis, there's a lot of talking to Fawny Willis in his order and giving her direction as to what to do next. And what he said to Fawny Willis is, and I'm paraf- only slightly paraphrasing, I appreciate that state that prosecutors want to say and do say that they're ready for trial. Like when the judge says, okay, the, the parties are in the courtroom, we're setting the trial, uh, prosecution, the people, ready. Right, that's that's what I, I get it, you're ready. You wanna do all 19, appreciate you, right? Mad love for you, Fawny. However, I cannot try 19, I can't try the remaining 17 people all in one courtroom at one time and I and there's already been nine motions to sever already filed to get away from the Chespro and Powell speedy trial couple, which I'm granting. And I know others are coming down the pike, and I'm going to grant those two even before they've been filed. So I'm going to make my own decision. The 17 are now uncoupled from the two. The only two that are going to trial in October are Chespro and Powell. And frankly, the reality of that, Ben, and to our audience is Donald Trump is not getting tried in 2023. 
based on Judge McAfee's orders. What he's told Phony Willis, this is the instruction portion of his order as he's communicating with her in a binary fashion, right, through this, through this order. He's saying to her, I envision at least two groups among the 17. I could be urged to do three or more. We'll deal with that another day. But I'm telling you now that you're going to have to take this, he called it a mega trial, take this mega trial and parse it down to groupings that make sense that I can do in one courtroom. Because he said 17 defendants with two or three uh, lawyers apiece and paralegals, my staff, the sheriff's staff, the prosecution's team in one courtroom ain't happening. And so come up with another way. Now, look, there have been cases. I know people in the chat were like, in the 1970s, during the organized crime trials, they tried 100 you know, mob bosses. That's true. And they had multiple courtrooms. They had like closed circuit TV. But this judge is not doing that. And he does think it impacts the fair administration of justice. He understands the point, Ben, that Fawney made which is we want to avoid inconsistent judgments. We don't want one jury hearing the exact same evidence of two separate defendants who should be convicted, one convicting and one saying not guilty. And the chances of that happening increase when you have multiple trials. But we had multiple trials in the Oath Keeper case in federal court. We had multiple trials. We had two trials in the Proud Boys and both juries, two separate juries hearing similar evidence came to the same conclusion and convicted almost all of them on all of the charges. So it does put a little pressure on the prosecution, but they also get the benefit if for somehow they lose, it's not all or nothing. They almost get like a midterm before the final, right? Let's say they win most of the case, the first grouping, but then they, the second, they make some improvements about how to present evidence in the second trial. The real question for me is, which group does Donald Trump go in? Now she's going to have to come back to him, knowing what the judge wants, and propose a reasonably um, segmented set of trials. Is she going to propose two sets? Like, we, let, we're, we should do uh, eight and nine. Or is she going to come back and say five, five, and eight, or five, five, and seven, whatever the math is for the 17 remaining? I don't think she goes more than three. I, I Maybe she tries to shove it into two, shoehorn the whole case into two. And then where does Trump fall? Because if she wants to, all we care about, I mean, yes, I'd like to know when QT, the Kanye stylist, is going to be tried in 2024, but I really care about Donald Trump. So th the question I have for you, Ben, and then I'll talk about Meadows for a minute. The question I have for you, Ben, on this one is, does she, knowing she's going to have to have at least two more trials, does she put him in the first group in 2024? so that we definitely get a ruling in 2024, or does she put him in the second group so she gets the benefit of the first trial as sort of a practice run before she gets to Trump? That's one, and there's pros and cons on both of those. And then the last thing the judge did, which leads into the other part of the segment about Meadows and the 11th Circuit and the federal court is he denied Meadows and anybody else that's looking for a stay at this moment, we're gonna talk a lot about stays on this hot take uh, podcast, I forget where I'm at. Uh, uh, he denied the stay of this state court proceeding while people are running to federal court to try to get their cases moved over to federal court. He says, you got plenty of time. The, the federal court's moving really fast. 
I'm not even going to look at your stuff until 2024. I got trial in October of these two. I'm focused on that. You got time to do your thing. I'm not staying a thing. And you're in this case, Mr. Meadows. You should be looking at evidence and coming up with motions you want to file until you're not in this case. And so that was the kind of final line under his order related to that. But, you know, when you do your part, if you could just add, tell me what you think. I'm of two minds about first trial or second trial for Donald Trump. I want to hear your opinion. One of the things I love that Judge Scott McAfee put in his order is he said, I appreciate how Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis has an always on, always ready to go to trial approach. And we knew from the hearing that we discussed uh, about the trial setting that it was kind of going to go this way because he said at the Judge Scott McAfee said at the hearing, I'm kind of skeptical that I'm going to be able to try everybody on October 23rd. Are you sure that's what you want? He asked one of the lawyers from Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis's team. And the prosecutor said, no, we want to go. We are ready to go. We want to have the earliest possible date to try all of the cases. And I mention that because one, anybody who brings a case, Popak, whether it's you or me or prosecutors, federal prosecutors, state prosecutors, you want your case to go to trial. That's why you filed the case. That should be your approach to it. So to answer your question and putting that in context, Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis her public position is always going to be as soon as we can try Donald Trump. I don't care what groups. I'm not playing games. I want to go to trial with him. Even to me, if it's conflicting with other dates of, you know, the Jack Smith case, she's going to ask for the earliest possible date, knowing that Donald Trump's going to try to delay, delay, and it will likely get kicked to a later date anyway. So that's always going to be the public posture that she has. And I think she wants to try it as, as soon as possible possible. So anything that she can try in a first batch, she will always try over a second batch. And that's going to be, I think, her uh, view about all of the co-defendants as well that are remaining. As many as can be tried early, that's what she's going to do. I have a quick question for you. Follow up. Follow up, Mr. Macellus. Suppose she wins Chesbro and Powell. Great. Suppose yeah. she doesn't win Chesbro and Powell then do you still think she puts Trump in the first group in early 2024? Yeah. And if she loses that first group uh, and, and that case is going to be broadcast live, it, you know, it is high, high risk, high stakes, but she's got the evidence. She wants to go to trial. She wins that case. What you're going to see is many other plea agreements are going to be entered. And basically, right, you may have only two or three people left to actually try the second case to. Yeah. Conversely, you lose the first case. It's a disaster. Let's face it. That is embarrassing. It is a disaster. And what it will lead to is calls to then dismiss some of the other individuals you know, who were there. And so I think either way that, and this is what Judge McAfee realizes, that first trial is going to have a material impact on all of the other cases, but That's I'm right. confident that Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis is going to win that. One other quick point of comparison though, as well as I say, she has this always on ready to go to trial approach, right? Compare that just to Donald Trump. When Trump brings a case, what's the first thing he wants to do in the cases he files. He wants to run away from him. 
He wants to delay. He wants to always use the court for abuse and manipulation and not for what the purpose of the court is. And the example I give recently is Trump filed a $500 million lawsuit against my co-host on the Political Beatdown podcast, Michael Cohen. So you would think Trump would be like, let's go. Let's get the trial date. Trump's first thing is to say, I want a trial date after the 2024 election. Not only that, I don't want to be deposed before then. Trump's running away from the deposition. Trump's witness list in that case has two individuals, himself and Michael Cohen. Trump's document production is 100 unique documents in a case he's suing Cohen for $500 million. And again, I want to touch on that right here, though. And then I want to hear about Mark Meadows from you, uh, Popak, about what's going on in the, in the Court of Appeals, the 11th Circuit, because evidence matters. You folks, <laughs> evidence, data, documents, witnesses. That's why Popak and I do this show, you know, because that concept and i know you know civics and and has been so under attack by maga republicans here and how the process works like this system that was created by our founders and evolved and developed and got better but certainly nowhere near perfect but got better and better and better is one of the best systems that exists in the world despite all of its imperfections is an important one that we need to fight for we need to understand what it means if we lose that system. It means people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates and Donald Trump and Jim Jordan and James Comer, they don't like you. And what happens in authoritarian states happens to you. And that's why it's so critical we do this show and we keep building this community. But Popak, tell us about Mark Meadows. Yeah, yeah um, and it's not going well for him. He, he's already gotten two losses by Judge Jones, a federal judge is sitting in the Northern District of Georgia to continue our teachable moments about state and federal court. There's a federal courthouse in Georgia and Atlanta that's very close to where the state courthouse is filled with federal judges and federal staff. And Judge Jones, appointed by Judge uh, by Judge Obama, should be should be should be a U.S. Supreme Court judge, but by President Obama, is presiding over that and all the other removal attempts by the fake electors and people like Jeff Clark, who says, yeah, I was an environmental lawyer, but I was, I, I got an, I got an upgrade. I got a pay grade upgrade by the, by the president. I was able to interfere with elections as well as part of my job. All those arguments are going to appear before him too. But the first canary in the coal mine, who's not doing well, is Mark Meadows. First, Judge Jones 10 days ago said, yeah, I heard the evidence. You testified, Mr. Meadows. Um, and under the narrow set of grounds that you have to establish and the burden you have to show me, not only were you a federal officer, but you're also um, what you did that's as, at the heart of the indictment is part of your job description. A job description, the judge commented, Mr. Meadows, you can't even tell me the outer boundaries of what your responsibilities are. I had to go look up other law because you were summarily unhelpful to me in that process. This is what the judge said about Meadows. He said, no, almost the entire heart of the indictment against you in the RICO conspiracy, the racketeering conspiracy, is not part of your job description as um, chief of staff. And so, no, goodbye. And then the judge, then he said, um, Mark Meadows said, can you stay your order, judge, which I'm not even sure was the right place to go stay. The right place is what you and I said, Ben, which is to go to Judge McAfee, who's all also denied the stay of the of, of any uh, of the criminal process against him in state court while he works out his federal problems. And the judge says, yeah, no, I'm not staying that either. I don't think an appeal here 
in order for you to win an appeal, I, I peeked under the covers here, and you have to have um, a, ch a reasonable chance of success, uh, likelihood of success, and you don't. I, I'm not. There's nothing about my analysis that I think I did wrong, and it's not wrong, and and so no. And so he said, "Crap!" So he went and filed his um, appeal with the 11th Circuit, and also asked them for an emergency stay at the 11th Circuit. But he got assigned three judges because we always talk about three judge panels generally, except when we talk about an appellate bench in New York. We'll talk about that last. But normally in federal court, it's a three judge panel for almost all appeals. Um, and the three judge panel is in and it's not great for Mark Meadows. It is two judges who used to be in the Southern District of Florida. So they were they were in where Eileen Cannon is now, including Judge Rosenbaum, who was the person that left the seat that Cannon filled and when she got elevated to the 11th Circuit. So you've got Judge Rosenbaum, who's a Democrat or democratically democratic appointed. You got you got uh, Bert Jordan, Adalberto Jordan, who was also and I've appeared in front of him when he was a trial judge down in Miami in the Southern District. So you got two Southern District of Florida judges on the 11th Circuit, which covers Alabama, Florida, and Georgia. So it's not that typical to get two out of the three be Florida. And then you've got a third one. It's also a Democrat president appointment. I don't know. I'm just going to go out here on a, on, a, on a limb and say that Mark Meadows is going to lose his appeal at the 11th Circuit about that everything he did was part of his job description, and therefore he um, shouldn't um, he shouldn't be trying his case or having his case tried against him in state court. And the novel issue that came up, Ben, that everyone was a little bit of a head scratcher, was before the panel was it was already set, but before it was revealed to the public, so we didn't know who the panel was yet. The panel asked the question anonymously through the clerk. That's how it works because they don't want to tip off either side as to who the panelists are because they don't want them you know, like trying to write for the panelist. You know, oh, oh, let's go look up all of Bert, you know, uh, uh, Adalberto Jordan's decisions on this area and load our our piece of paper up with it. They don't want that. They just want the question answered. The question was, where does it say in the statute that a former federal officer, because we all agree that that um, Mark Meadows was not the White House chief of staff when he tried to take this criminal prosecution. He had been many months removed from being the <laughs> from being the White House chief of staff. Where does it say that a former federal officer gets to take his case to federal court? Implying that there is a policy that the lawmakers had about why you have federal officer removal as a provision at all. The reason you have it is because you want to prevent a state from interfering with the lawful federal functions of a federal officer. State interfering federal office. Got two problems with that argument here. One, the arrow is running the other way. The feds are alleged to be, have been interfering with the state election process. So it went that way, not this way. And secondly, he's not currently a federal officer. So there's no federal function interference that needs to be worried about. That caught everybody sort of flat footed because Fawny Willis had already conceded that he was a federal officer. And even recent cases that we talked about on Legal AF. Because we like to say these are both, this show is both episodic in that you can you can just stand alone, get a lot of information that's helpful here now, and it's also a serial, so it builds on itself over a period of time. In May, 
we did hot takes when two of us were on vacation <laughs> or, or podcast in which we said we, we follow what, what Alvin Hellerstein, the judge in the Southern District of New York, did when Donald Trump tried this two-step dance to get out of state court in the Stormy Daniels hush money affair. And there, Judge Hellerstein said, well, let me do the three elements for federal removal. One, do I have a federal officer in front of me? And the judge said, yes, he didn't get into the, he was former, so it doesn't apply. That whole issue of the 11th Circuit seems to be concerned about. And then he said, are, are you within the, uh, the uh, your scope of your federal powers or your, your color of your office? And the judge says, no, I don't think covering up for an affair, a short-term affair with a mistress is part of your presidential duties. Eh, denied, go back to state court, which is what he did. Here, the 11th Circuit is asked, and both Fawny Willis now and the Fulton County DA's office and Meadows uh, have been heard from in their filings about, um, and now, you know, Fawny's smart. And so she's not, she's going to be like, yeah, I think you're right, you, Your Honor. When you look at the two provisions of federal removal, it, it's in the present tense. And the way they, they used other language in the provision right below it about other type of removal would indicate that you are right, that this should only apply to um, at present federal officers, not former like Meadows. And so they answered that question for them. Now, we're still going to have full briefing on the rest of the issue. But what you're watching is an appellate panel, Ben, that's going to first decide whether they even have jurisdiction. Federal courts are uh, federal appellate courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. They we talk about appeals a lot, but appeals don't happen a lot because they get denied because they either find a way to say that party over here doesn't have standing to take the appeal, or the timing is wrong to take the appeal, or in this case, is there even jurisdiction to evaluate this issue, or can we get a, forget the merits just on the face of the statute? Can we dismiss this thing? And so we're watching a panel that is that is coming to grips with this issue, and I'm sure it'll be part of the oral argument. To the extent that it's recorded, we'll talk about it uh, on Legal AF. And so that's where we are, federal, state, Meadows, and the rest are waiting. Like Jeff Clark's got a Everything else goes in front of Jones, the trial judge. Jeff Clark's got a hearing in front of Jones. The fake electors have hearings in front of Jones. He continues to generate consistent with his ruling in Meadows. We know what he's going to do. I mean, Jeff Clark maybe could be a closer call, but I think it's going to end up being the same thing. And then the 11th Circuit may not be the same panel. That's the one thing we should all manage expectations. You get who's the three-judge panel at the moment you file your appeal. It doesn't usually travel even though you keep your trial judge, um, it doesn't travel. You don't go, let's let's reconvene that other panel that just did the Meadows and have them do this because it's related. That's not generally how appeals work. That's why you get different panels in the like in the Mar-a-Lago appeal that happened about uh, Judge Cannon interfering with an ongoing criminal investigation. And it went up to the 11th Circuit twice. It was two separate appellate panels. Um, including one which I think included Rosenbaum, who's the judge here in Meadows, if I'm trying to square the circle on all of this. You know, Popak, I thought we were three weeks away <laughs> from the New York Attorney General civil fraud case against Donald Trump. I had it marked on my calendar. I know you got the calendar of all of the uh, the things. I was I was ready to go. And then Donald Trump sued the judge and then the judge, I mean, all legal observers, including myself, thought that filing was was a pretty frivolous filing. The judge 
granted a temporary stay, but you think that the effect of that's actually not as significant as is being reported. I mean, look, this case is going to trial. The issue is when is it going to trial? Um, and ultimately the issues are going to be, uh, how vast are the claims that will be permitted to go to trial, um, based on the dueling summary judgment motions that have been filed. New York attorney general, Letitia James filed the summary judgment motion, asking judge and Goron to find liability and just move into damages. Donald Trump's asking for the case to be dismissed. There was already another ruling by the appellate department where Ivanka got dismissed several months back where the appellate department delineated the statute of limitations issues, which are claims that accrued as of February of 2016. I believe it's like February 8th. There's a specific date that was given of, of 2016. So a lot of these issues have already been decided. Judge Ngoron knows these issues. Also, it's going to be a bench trial, not a jury trial. We'll talk about that reason as well when we come back from a quick break. But um, I, I want, I, why is this getting delayed, Popak? What's going on here? I, I want to get your take on that. Also want to talk a little bit about this Ken Paxton acquittal, um, which may have surprised many people. Although when you have a uh, Texas Senate controlled by MAGA Republicans, I don't think that should be all that uh, surprising that even when presented with evidence of Republicans saying Ken Paxton did these crimes and showing you the evidence of it. It's undisputed. That's not uh, significant when Donald Trump puts out a post on social media and tells the Republicans in Texas to do something. Also, we should briefly discuss that uh, uh, subpoena to Twitter that uh, Jack Smith sent more in terms of uh, the big evidence, the treasure trove that Jack Smith seems to have gotten as a result. Let's talk about that and more. Let's take a quick break. When I'm not hosting Legal AF on the Midas Touch Network, I have a national law practice that includes daily fantasy sports clients. That's why I'm thrilled to have Prize Picks join us as a sponsor. Prize Picks is a skill based, real money daily fantasy sports game. How does it work? You pick two to six players, and if they go more or less than their Prize Picks projection, then you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. At Prize Picks, you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available, instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks. As you know, I'm a slightly competitive person by nature. And combining my competitiveness with an easily accessible daily fantasy sports game? Well, that's the icing on the proverbial cake. With the Major League Baseball season about to head into playoff season and the football season, both college and pro, getting going, I can put my skill-based knowledge to the test with daily entries with truly incredible winnings. So you know, Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch. This includes NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, men's college basketball, women's college basketball, soccer, WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, disc golf, Euro basketball, cricket, and many more. Prize Picks is currently operational in over 30 states and Canada, not Ontario. 
Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Go to prizepicks.com/legalaf and use code legalaf for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com/legalaf and use code legalaf for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Legal AF. Michael Popak, tell us what is going on in the New York Attorney General civil fraud case. Supposed to start October 2nd, but this ruling by a New York appellate department may have caused this thing to be a little bit more delayed. We want justice, Popak. What's happening? Yeah, and let me let me see what I can do. Both explain Article 78 and um, which is what they've attempted to use, something that most people even in New York, don't know what it is, but you will by the time we're done with this discussion on legal AF. And let me so let me let me end with let me start with where I think we're we're at now, and then I'll tell you how we got there. The it's it's not the entire proceeding that is stayed because one judge that was assigned the case on an emergency basis on a motion on an emergency motion of the first department appellate division, which is the first level appeal. Um, in New York for Manhattan, covers Manhattan and some other boroughs. Above that, the highest court of New York, which is the Court of Appeals. We don't have a Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is the trial court level for our for our practice. Confused enough? Uh, First Department Appellate Division, when you file an emergency application, it gets assigned randomly to one judge, one justice. Justice Friedman, who was appointed by Governor Pataki, who was like a normal Republican governor, one of the few in in New York, um, you know, like 20 years ago. So that person has to look at it. It's almost like that shadow docket at the Supreme Court level where one justice takes a look at it and decides whether they're going to make a decision right now, whether to stay the case subject to a full briefing at the merits panel, which is in New York, a five justice panel. And then they set how expedited they want, how fast they want that to be, or is he going to just deny it out of the box and go, "Nah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to delay anything at all in the case, including the trial date, because I don't see it on the papers." That's really it's binary. You could do one of two things, and so the rest of the case, including the summary judgment hearing on the 22nd of September, is still going to be heard by Judge Angoron. Judge Angoron is still going to issue his orders before the trial about which of the transactions which form the heart of the $250 million or what's now been referred to as the $3 billion uh, personal financial statement overstatement by Donald Trump, which transactions based on a ruling over the summer in June by this another panel of the First Department Appellate Division which granted an appeal, granted partially an appeal by Donald Trump to take a razor or a scalpel and cut certain of the transactions out of the prosecu- out of the case under the argument that there's a statute of limitations, I think it's six years applies to this one, and that certain of the transactions that are, are the basis of the, of the New York Attorney General's civil fraud case are outside the statute of limitations and therefore should not be part of the case presented by the, the the New York Attorney General or in the ultimate ruling by the judge. No jury here. And that's important. 
for many reasons, but I'm going to tell you why it's important for this one. Judge is still going to make the decisions. He still has to take, as every trial court judge does, has to take the appellate decision about the transactions and the statute of limitations and map it on their on his case and then use a scalpel to figure out which transactions are in and which transactions are out. It's that same ruling is the reason that Ivanka is no longer in the case because whatever she did right or wrong was outside the statute of limitations based on the transactions and that's one of the reasons she was dismissed from the case. So the judge doesn't have to like speed things up because Donald Trump doesn't like the timing. Oh, I got so many other things to do. I got seven trials in nine months. You know, can you tell me now which transactions are in or out? The judge has the discretion. The case is in October. You know, it's got another month or so or less than a month, <laughs> 19 days, whatever it is, to tell the parties which are in and which are out. In the meantime, you just prepare your case, Right. They don't like that. The Trump group wants to know now, you know, like babies in a high chair. No, I want it now. And judge is like, you're not getting it now. And I'm going to rule on your summary judgments in due course. And I'll, and that will be after oral argument on the 22nd of September. None of what I've just said is going to stop because of this ruling by Judge Justice Friedman. Justice Friedman said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to hold the ring. I'm going to put a pin in the October 2nd trial date for now subject to a full merits panel of five people not named Justice Friedman. He will not be part of that panel. Setting a briefing schedule, having oral argument, and making a decision about whether uh, Judge Angoran was right or wrong to go full steam ahead with an October 2nd trial date, or should he have delayed, extended the trial date several weeks or a month, both for Donald Trump to be better prepared, which is part of their argument, and to give the judge more time to make his own ruling about summary judgment that's pending, which I don't think is a compelling argument. Everything that they've raised on the Trump side to get this emergency stay of the trial date only, subject to, it still could be the trial date is what I'm trying to say. When the five-judge panel is convened, I assume somewhere Monday, Tuesday, because Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish holiday, was Friday, and that impacts the court's uh, staffing. I'm sure on Monday, Tuesday, we're going to get a five-judge panel who's going to issue an order, I would think, for expedited briefing, because they know October 2nd is just around the corner, and make the parties brief and appear in front of them in some sort of oral argument, and then make a decision. If it were as easy as you judge, if I, I don't like how fast the judge is running his trial, not even a jury. See, the prejudice and impact you usually care about is if the jury is going to be confused or impacted. But when the judge is the judge making decisions about the summary judgment, the one making the decisions about how to apply the prior appellate decision to the transactions in or out on the statute of limitations, it's all the same person, right? Then it's just a timing issue. This, this attempt to get the judge to move faster and stop the trial is premature. They should have waited until the judge made a ruling on summary judgment that they didn't like and or um, didn't properly apply the appellate uh, order and map it onto the case. And yeah. if they didn't like that, then try to take an appeal. But if all it took is filing a petition under Article 78 to, to get rid of every judge you don't like, everybody would do this. And Article 78, just to leave it on this, is 99.9% .9 of the time in New York used for something completely different. You use it when you get a decision from a administrative agency, 
a zoning board, a local, your local municipality or local official that you don't like. You didn't get the permit. You didn't get the zoning approval. You didn't get something that happened in the prison system. Then to appeal that administrative decision, you file an Article 78 proceeding and it gets assigned to a judge of the superior court. I can think of two two times in like 50 years where somebody's used an Article 78 to stop a judge from doing something now that could, may be error in the future. The timing is wrong here. My prediction, this panel is going to get convened Monday, Tuesday, next week. They're going to set a briefing schedule. And then they're going to hear argument. And ultimately, they're going to say, I believe that Angoron was within his discretion to continue the trial in October and not have it postponed. If they don't like the rulings, they can take their appeal. But for now, to interfere with a judge before the trial has even happened would be quite extraordinary. And I just don't think, based on what I've seen so far, without having seen the benefit of the briefing, I don't think it's going to happen. If this was a jury trial and not a bench trial, and I want to be fair here with my arguments, I would actually agree with Donald Trump's lawyers' concerns about having to prepare this jury trial if a summary judgment ruling that could alter the dynamics of a case came out right before the jury was about to be impaneled because then I have it's going to impact my presentation to the jury. I mean, just think about it. If New York Attorney General Letitia James, just say she wins and the case is just about damages to a jury, right? I'm going to be investing huge amounts of resources, subpoenaing all of these witnesses, doing all of these things to then only have a case about damages. Then my entire case is going to have to shift overnight. And I'm not going to be able to be prepared in 24 hours, 48 hours to kind of make that shift. Similarly, even if the judge rules in favor of Donald Trump in certain areas and certain claims are limited, that would ultimately impact my opening statement and and the, the way and order I would do the witnesses. But to me, those concerns don't apply where it's going in front of the same judge. Judge Ngoron has now all of the evidence before him in the summary judgment that's basically in a trial going to be presented to him again. He's seen all the documents. He's seen all of the evidence. And in terms of narrowing the documents, controlling his court, dealing with the timing, to your point, Popak, those issues just don't exist anymore when there's no jury there and we're just dealing with a bench trial and the judge, you know, the, the, the the judge can even hear, and I have this happen a lot actually with bench trials, typical objections that a judge would sustain, allow in front of a jury, like hearsay objections. When it's in front of a judge, sometimes I've had judges in bench trials, you probably had the experience also, where they're just like, you don't need to object on hearsay. I know what hearsay is. I'm going to hear all of the evidence. I'm not going to consider the hearsay in my ruling. I don't want to waste our time with that. Give me all the evidence and I can make that distinction in my mind. Well, to your point and bringing in our own practices, I'm going to give two quick examples. One that's starting on Monday for me. In 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 the commercial division of the New York uh, Superior, uh, uh, State Supreme Court, which is actually the division of the court that Trump wanted to go to and get away from Angoron. He's constantly trying to get away from Angoron. And you touched on it in the opening because his lawyer, who was then Alina Haba, had 15 days to request a jury trial after 
the the government, the New York Attorney General, um, filed what's called a note of issue, and she missed the deadline, and that's why we never talk about a bench trial. Uh, we we don't talk about a jury trial for this case. We talk about a bench trial, and Donald Trump hates it because this judge Angoron from the very beginning has found him in contempt, installed a financial monitor, found his his motion practice to be frivolous. Alina Haba has attacked Angoron in the courtroom, outside the courtroom. I mean, mercilessly, they've wanted to get away from this guy. But two, but two, two points. On my trial that starts on Monday, I have a trial that starts on Monday in the commercial division. Before, it's only, it's a bench trial, no jury, all witness testimony, all, all direct witness testimony, which would normally be presented in court. With a, with a lawyer asking questions of their witness and then cross-examination and then redirect. All of that is being done by affidavit. So just a, a piece of paper sworn to under oath with the direct testimony listed by the lawyer, likely, and then signed by the client. And then the only thing that's live in the courtroom for the judge is the cross-examination and then the redirect. Sometimes judges do it by even, even far further removed each of these witnesses may have been may have given a deposition, a question and answer under oath before the trial itself, and then you designate from the pages of the deposition. It's called deposition designation. What your uh, your direct testimony is, and the judge reads that either at the time or in advance, and only gets certain things live in the courtroom. But I've had a jury trial where the uh, two examples jury where the summary judgment had not been decided at the time that we picked the jury and did opening arguments. The judge was still holding the summary judgment, went through the entire trial, and then he granted or denied aspects of the summary judgment. I would have liked to have known that before I tried my case. And I had a case where during the jury trial, I stood up to do, this is 15 years ago, I stood up to do opening argument. I'd taken over the opening statement. I'd taken over the case from another lawyer in my office. And halfway through the opening statement, the other side jumped. This is trial, jury in the box. Other side jumped up and said, oh, Your Honor, we need to be heard. Like during my opening, we go up to the bench, you know, with a little bit of uh, conversation just with the judge outside the jury's uh, listening. And they said, Judge, he's arguing liability and damages. This is only a damage case because we had an argument that liability was still alive. And the judge says, yeah, under my ruling, and I had just taken this case over, under my ruling eight months ago, Mr. Popak, you don't have a liability case. You only have damage, which was news to me and everybody on our side of the case. Why don't we take a break for lunch and you can redo your opening? <laughs> okay, jury gets dismissed. I go at lunch, you gave me an hour and a half, with a yellow pad, and I totally rewrite my opening and now I have to reformat my case about liability. That happened in the moment in a courtroom. So I don't feel bad for them at all. And I do, this is why I don't think they're going to win to get uh, Engoron to, to rule faster so they can have more time to prepare for the case. I think it's a loser. And, I, and lawyers like me and you that have had things happen to us on the fly when you got to handle it have to adapt. And that's just a way our court system is. That's the way it is. You got to adapt. But Donald Trump, rather than adapt, just wants to whine and definitely going to be whining a lot more about this subpoena or this warrant, rather, that Jack Smith had issued for Elon Musk's Twitter. And Elon Musk didn't turn over uh, the records in time, ultimately was 
found in contempt by Judge Beryl Howell, who at that point in time was presiding over all of the grand jury proceedings in Washington, D.C., and she issued very severe sanctions against Elon Musk's Twitter at the time. Ultimately, the documents that Jack Smith were seeking were produced. And Donald Trump's been like whining a lot about these Twitter documents. And you have to think like, okay, it's it's Twitter. Like most of the things were posted. We all saw them. So like, wh- why was Donald Trump whining so much about it? And Popak, it seems that uh, there's a reason why, huh? And uh, it seems that there were that was being used to send DMs or one of the things too that I that that reading between the lines that may be taking place here, Popak. Do you remember how after 9/11, one of the ways it was detected that Al Qaeda was engaged in communications to avoid detection? was they would open up email accounts and then they would keep in drafts the emails but not actually send the emails. And then they would have different people log on to the email address, look at the drafts so that there would never be like it being sent from a specific location. And so one of the things could happen here that could be taking place is that it was also being used to save notes and to save messages in drafts before a tweet was actually sent in addition to sending dm so what jack smith get his hands on yeah it's a treasure trove you and i have been unpacking 403 pages of an appendix and the uh, motion practice and the order and the transcript from the judge all related just to bring people up to speed because you know we're, we're talking a little bit in shorthand here um jack smith wanted donald trump's twitter account and everything about it who used it? When was it used? Who? What was it linked to? Direct messaging, drafts, tweets, and everything else. I mean, the tweets he had. I mean, everything's in the public record. But a lot of them are deleted, or they're they're fleeting tweets, whatever they fleets or whatever they called them at the time. Sort of like they just like Snapchat. They like disappeared. And so he wanted everything full. He's entitled to everything, and then decide if any of it's relevant and what to do with it. And by the time he got around to getting a search warrant, um. 9, 10, 11 months ago in January from, uh, last year, almost you know, a long time ago, um, from Judge Beryl Howell, who was then the chief judge of the district court in Columbia in D.C., he, um, he, he got it granted. Judge said, fine, search warrant. And they also said, Judge, we're also concerned because of Donald Trump and his intimidation factor and the fact that he could destroy evidence. And they put in front of her Mar-a-Lago type evidence that they had already established with this particular former president. Just says, yeah, I agree with that too. So here's what you're going to do. You don't have to raid Twitter, but I'll give them a non-disclosure order, an NDO. And this whole fight over the NDO is how we got our hands on all of this stuff now unsealed. That's why we're talking about it now. It's not that we missed it in January and that you and I want to add this to the podcast today. It's because we just got it because it just got unsealed. That's what happens on the sealing and unsealing things. You and I and our production crew, Salty, will see something on a docket, the electronic um, entries for a case. We'll go, hmm, sealed, five sealed things in a row. It may be six months or a year before we get our hands on what it is. In the meantime, we're trying to read it from the context of what we think is happening and report it. But in this particular case, judge said, sure, NDO, non-disclosure order. They shouldn't be able to tip off Donald Trump, I believe. And we have the order now. 
um, which we'll, we'll, we'll put up during the show, in which the judge says there is a likelihood you've made out your case that there could be a destruction of evidence, interference, perhaps even fleeing the jurisdiction by Donald Trump. So I'm going to say search warrant granted and your request for a non-disclosure order, which tells Twitter you are not to tell any, you are gagged. You are bound and gagged. You are not to say a darn thing. Here's the order. You are not to say a darn thing to anybody, including, but especially Donald Trump about the search warrant because you'll blow an investigation that is ongoing. And, and, the, and the federal government has shown me that there's a paramount concern to protect an ongoing federal investigation. You are not to say a darn thing and turn over all your documents. It's almost two separate things. Well, they foot dragged because Elon Musk took over Twitter. And Elon Musk, as the judge pointed out in one of her comments, because she's really smart from the oral argument, she said to the lawyer for Twitter, you're not trying to fight this search warrant and try to disclose it to Donald Trump because you're trying to curry favor with him to get him back on your platform, having fired him because you have a new owner, are you? He literally said it like that. And the lawyer said, no, your owner. <laughs> like, uh, like, what's he going to say at that point? Yes, that's exactly what we were doing. You're, but it looked like it, that was exactly what they were doing. And so she granted it. And then Twitter didn't like it. And Twitter did two things. One, dragged its feet and refused to timely search and produce the, all the documents that the government wanted. And the government filed a motion to compel them for sanctions because they were late. They also wanted to get out from under the non-disclosure order. They basically told the judge, we, want, we have a First Amendment right to protect Donald Trump and tell him that there's a search warrant against him. And we want you to, to in, in, in uphold that. And we're going to assert executive privilege over, even though we're not the president, we don't have standing over maybe a document or direct message that may be executive privilege. We don't know. We didn't look. But won't you let us out from under the non-disclosure order? Judge says, why don't you come in for a hearing? Do your briefing. Come in for a hearing. And, they, and the judge says, and this is from the transcript we got our hands on, we got two problems. The first is you're way late on producing your documents, and I'm going to sanction you for that $350,000. And the other thing is this non-disclosure order that you keep fighting with me on, you, you, your basis for, for saying that you want to be able to tell Donald Trump has, holds no water. Um, or as, as she paraphrased, like the government's position is, what are you even talking about? You don't have the standing to bring up executive privilege. And you don't have a First Amendment right to, to interfere with an ongoing criminal investigation and tip off the target and tell, especially the one that I agree with the government is likely to interfere with witnesses, obstruct justice, and destroy documents and perhaps flee the jurisdiction. I am not letting you do that. So you are not to do that. And you are to turn over all the documents. The good news is now we know that two things. Uh, they turned over all the documents and, and Jack Smith has had that treasure trove of documents. We know today that 32 of them, 32 of those documents were direct messages. I don't know if they were sent or not, but they were direct messages. We don't know their content, but we know that this is a, something within that treasure trove. And then, of course, we have all of the filings that were made that the seal has now been ripped off of. And some people around, the, even in this country and around the world who watch our show might be thinking, what's the, pro what's the deal with sealing? Well, at certain points, depending upon usually criminal investigations, information is in the public domain. Everybody knows about it. But other information isn't. Witness identity and things like who's the target of a, of a subpoena or search warrant before it's been executed or while it's been executed. And so to protect the sanctity of the investigation, things are temporarily sealed. Eventually, 
either because the media files a motion, you know, like CBS, NBC, Washington Post, I don't know, Midas Touch, files a motion to unseal things because we lean in this country towards public trials and public filings. And so that, and that the public gets to see more and more until they get to see all of it. By the time all of the concerns about a criminal prosecution are removed, eventually all that black tape that's on those pages get ripped off. It's just a matter of timing as to when. It may be heavily redacted in the beginning, black page, black page, black page, black page. But then as the case goes on, more pages are revealed. You and I get to talk about them, Ben, on this show. Uh, And then eventually when the case is over, then everything is in the public record. But the reason for that is transparency. And because we don't do secret trials in a fascist state, we do public trials and and everything gets revealed unless it's going to compromise an ongoing criminal investigation. And when you're talking about Donald Trump, it, it's always an ongoing criminal investigation. You know, when you talk about public trials, though, it's important that we all can see and evaluate the evidence and to make our own impressions about the public record, about what took place. I believe that's transparency is so required. It's why I'm so thrilled that the Georgia Rico state case is going to be videotaped. I want everybody to see it. And by the way, if Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis doesn't have enough evidence, if she isn't able to prove her case, she's going to lose. And you're not going to see me saying that's, you know, she should have won if, you know, it's it's an evidence-based system. The scales of justice, (laughs) you got to, we got to weigh the evidence. You know, so that just finally leads me to this Ken Paxton uh, impeachment trial where he was acquitted. The evidence was all out there of his corrupt relationship with one of his big donors, Nate Paul, how he used the attorney general's office in Texas to help Nate Paul make millions of dollars and avoid foreclosures as a clear quid pro quo for donations and also for uh, Nate Paul to employ and pay for Ken Paxton's mistress to live close by to Ken Paxton so he could see her all the time. Meanwhile, Ken Paxton's wife is a state senator, a Republican state senator who was there for the uh, impeachment trial. The key witnesses in this case were Ken Paxton's Republican friends, Ken Paxton's Republican associates, Ken Paxton's hand-picked appointees who worked under him, conservative Republicans. These were the witnesses. The documents were there. It showed what Ken Paxton did. You couldn't watch that and come to the conclusion that Ken Paxton didn't do what he was accused of doing. By the way, the mistress invoked her Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. But all of the people who Paxton appointed, his friends, they all testified against him and said he did this. There was not any rebuttal at all. It was just Ken Paxton's lawyer basically invoking rhetoric like Donald Trump and 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 MAGA and how Republicans need to stand together and you know the speech that Paxton's lawyer gave was really not. Here's what the evidence showed: it was the days of the Bush family in Texas are over. Basically saying that it's time for the Trump family to run Texas politics and. 
that's what's happened. You know, Donald Trump put a post up and you had the 16 Texas Republican senators banding together. It's the way the Texas Senate works. There's 19 Republicans. There's 12 Democrats. And throughout all of the votes, the 16 Texas Republicans pretty much stuck together on all of the votes and blocked uh, a conviction in the impeachment trial, despite all of the overwhelming evidence. And to me, it's not a, you know, this wasn't a political thing. Recall he was impeached by the uh, Texas House of Representatives on a vote of 121 to 23, a Texas House of Representatives controlled by Republicans. And there was bipartisan support for it there. Folks, this is just what the evidence showed he did it, but the MAGA Republicans said, screw it. Screw the evidence. Donald Trump wants Ken Paxton there to help Donald Trump in another coup in 2024 to try to overthrow democracy. And I'm sorry, I don't want to live in a country of Ken Paxton corruption. I don't want to live in a country where I have Marjorie Taylor Greene calling for secession. I don't want to live in a country where you've got Lauren Boebert citing passages of the Bible and using Jesus's name to commit atrocities and to take away people's rights and freedoms while she's at a theater in Denver putting vape smoke on pregnant women while she's grabbing uh, the genitals of the guys of the boyfriend sitting next to her as he's grabbing her breasts and she's making a whole scene and being kicked out because she's conducting herself like that. And then she's going to walk around and tell you how you should live your life and take away your rights and freedoms. And by the way, it's not unique to the people I gave you, whether I start with Trump or Boebert or Marjorie Taylor Greene or go to Jim Jordan who covered up sex abuse, or I go to James Comer or Matt Gates. They're, they're all like this. I, I can I can name should I name Paul Gosar? Should I name Anna Paulina Luna? Should I name George Santos? Th th this is who they are, and 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 who do we have on the Democratic side? People like Adam Schiff, former federal prosecutor. People like Dan Goldman, former federal prosecutor. People like Jamie Raskin, Harvard constitutional scholar, legal scholar. I, I want to live in a world of competence and law and order, and I hope you all do, which is why please share this show with people. Let people know about Legal AF. We need to build the community. Look, heck, the large media networks ain't doing it, so we need to come together and do that. If you want to support the Midas Touch Network, go to patreon.com slash Midas Touch. You can hear all about Michael Popox origin story, Karen Freeman Agnifilo's origin story, my origin story, my brother's origin story as well. Check that out at Patreon. You spell it P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Midas Touch. Also, Karen Freeman Agnifilo did a great, great story on MidasTouch.com. There it is right there. Jack Smith is finally fighting back. The special counsel is finally seeking a gag order to stop the orange bully and chief's blatant taunting of the court and pushing of the justice system's limits. Karen Friedman Agnifilo is a great contributor on the website and, of course, our co-host on Legal AF. And you can check that out by going to MidasTouch.com. Also go to store.midastouch.com for the best pro-democracy gear, 100% union made, 100% made in the U.S. Get your Legal AF fall gear right 
now. Thank you all for watching this episode of Legal AF. Let's keep protecting, preserving, and defending our constitution and our democracy together. Shout out to the Midas Mighty.